Hello, world. Hey. Hi. 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 Hello. Hello. Hi. It's like I forgot not to say hello. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Life with Kaka. I'm your host and fellow producer, Carolina Gropa. If this is your first time or your 32nd time listening to the show, welcome. Whatever ways the universe brought you to this podcast, I'm so glad you're here tuning in and doing this life thing with me. All things considered, how are you doing? I would love to hear from you. Sometimes it feels like I'm speaking into a void where I put these episodes out and I hope that they are resonating with you, that they are helping you in some way, shape or form, that they are keeping you company, if anything, during this challenging moment we are facing. Making this show has been the root of much joy for me. And so if I can pass a little bit of that on to you, my dear listener, then I'm happy. Then I feel like I've completed something this week. (laughs) So let's get into this week's episode. I have always been curious about how fashion shoots and the fashion world and magazine covers and all of that fun stuff, how that happens. It always seems very glamorous and fancy, but you know, knowing the world of film and television production, I know that's far from the truth. So when I somehow stumbled upon Dijon Politan's Instagram, I took that as a sign. I reached out to him and he immediately responded. Some weeks later, we got to record this conversation. Originally from Frankfurt, he splits his time between Germany and New York. In fact, during the time of this recording, he was in Germany. I am here in LA. Technology, you know, amazing. Dijon knew from a young age that he wanted to become an agent of change. He graduated from the London College of Fashion with a degree in branding. And when he moved to London, he intensified his creativity while working with prestigious brands such as Alexander McQueen, Gucci, Carla Otto, Ralph Lauren, and Tom Ford. He works as a producer and a creative director in editorial fashion and beauty. He recently produced Vogue Greece's anniversary issue with Bella Hadid on the cover. During our hour together, we compared the sprint of print shoots to the marathon of film and TV production, discuss what the fashion world really thinks about models versus influencers, and he shines a light on the challenges of having to start over in New York when he moved there from London. I can't wait to hear what you think of this week's episode. So without further ado, let's dig in. So tell me a little bit about you, your background, and how you got and found your way into fashion. Ever since I was younger, I was very interested in fashion. Sounds a bit cliche, but I remember watching fashion TV when I was 12 years old here at home. My mom was a makeup artist, so that helped me. Sometimes she would take me to local fashion shows here. It's nothing like those big shows you imagine in Paris or New York. It's like very small, very local. For me, it was always a bit like a dream world, and I could always escape into that world. And maybe that was the drive when I was younger. I was like, okay, like one day I want to be part of that dream world. And that kept me going. And I mean, my first Vogue magazine that I bought, they were from our local print shop, and they only had like two copies every month, I think. <laughs> and I was always rushed to get one of those copies. And back then, when you opened those, Vogue magazines, the productions were always, I mean, out of this world. It was always somewhere in the desert. It was creating Alice in Wonderland sets. And then it was not just about the fashion, but I think it was really creating stories. And that fascinated me. And so I made my way into the industry. I started modeling a bit. And I think which is also something that's quite usual for this industry. Usually you don't go into fashion right away and you're like, I know I'm going to be this or that. 
mm. to try out a few different things. So I tried a bit of modeling, figured out that's not for me. Then I worked a bit in a modeling agency. I was like, okay, behind the camera, I feel more comfortable. I feel more in charge. Yeah. Because the difference between modeling and acting, I think, is as a model, you really depend on if somebody likes you and your talent is limited. I mean, you, you either look beautiful and it's very subjective. I mean, right. beauty to somebody is bad in this. And I think as an actor, you have more force behind it. And if you really nail your role, you can convince people. Right. So that's mm-hmm. why I felt more comfortable behind the camera. And then I kind of realized, okay, Germany is not the fashion capital. <laughs> and I need to get out of here. Like I yeah. need to go somewhere else. And then London came in very handy. So I moved into London, started studying there at the London College of Fashion, um, which belongs to Central St. Martin. So that to me was like the big entry into the fashion world. And from there, I really then just... Uh, started working and connecting a lot. I mean, it was really about meeting the people. I remember walking into rooms where people would be working for Alexander McQueen. And after a 10 minute discussion, they would be like, okay, come by next week. Let's see if you can help us out. And that way you started. So I never really had the vision. I want to be a producer. I wanted to be part of this fashion world. And then step by step, it got clarified. And until today, I always say I do creative direction and production which I think is also very interesting. I don't know if it is that way in television or in movies that you can say, I'm a director and a producer. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Okay, great. I think, I think it's an industry that's very similar to yours where you get to kind of play in a lot of different disciplines and you get to go from one to the other. So you can very much start as a writer and then go be an actor who then directs and gets to produce or a lot of people start as as actors and then find other behind the camera things that are interesting. Cause it's almost like to what you're saying, especially for, from an acting standpoint, when you've gotten to be the paint in a way you want to then yeah. be the painter, right? Like you've been around it for so long, you understand how it comes together, but a lot of actors get it from like their perspective. And a lot of the actors I've spoken to on the show or just in life who grew up in the business, they get to a point where They've been around it so much that they just understand it inherently how it works. And I think those people go on to become some of the best directors we have because they understand it on such a deep level. You know, they've been around it since they were kids. Because you always hear the big names like, mm-hmm. okay, he's director, producer, writer. The producer title in Hollywood is very sort of amorphous and there are people who truly like earned it in the sense that they yeah. brought some true piece of IP or talent or money or something to the table that warrants that title. But then there's a lot of people who get that title because they were the manager of the talent or the talent sometimes negotiates that title. So they have more bargaining power on the creative, but they're not producers in the true sense of the definition of the word, which is why you'll see like movies, especially do this. Television is a little harder because it's a writer's medium, but in films, it's like, oh, well, Dijon connected me to this person. He's asking for a producer credit. We're going to give it to him because his best friend is Tom Cruise, you know, or whatever. So there's like all of these unique ways that that can happen. So there'll be like 20 producers listed and you're like, who actually did this? Who made this project come to life? You know, that is definitely the difference also to to fashion. The teams are much smaller. I mean, even these days, it's really, I mean, usually 10 to 15 people is the size that is usual for a Vogue cover shoot. 
I know what people tell me 10 years ago, it was double the amount of people because there was also double the amount of budget. That has definitely changed in fashion. The budgets are shorter and they cut down and the industry is in a change right now. And um, yeah. especially now with COVID-19, it yes. really hits the industry even harder. I feel that from the external view that film is a bit ahead of us. I mean, you've had this transformation where the big players like Netflix came in and, and changed the industry already. Mm-hmm. And now it looks like there's big budgets and the productions are actually growing. Maybe you can tell me more about that. Is it that way or how is the environment changing? As it compares to fashion, I could understand how with cameras getting smaller and more accessible and more people having act like you can shoot just with a camera, but then like similar to, to print, there's all these other elements that take it to the next level, right? With like lighting, somebody who truly understands lighting. Well, that could be just one person, but typically that's a department of at least three people, right? And then you have your camera person, then you have your makeup person. So all of a sudden you're already at like 15 people and you you haven't even done anything. You're just like sitting in a chair. So I think it can scale up very quickly, but I would say that while Netflix and a lot of the streamers have provided tremendous opportunity for content creation of all sorts, it's also in a way kind of started to shrink the middle class that is Hollywood even further. Once streamers started happening, well, people started going to the movies less and less. So the middle tier of projects that used to get made, like anything in the $50 million budget, which is like a medium level movie, studios were able to take more risks, I feel, creatively. And then as that gap started widening, you started to see, well, and now studios are getting bought by conglomerates. So they're not beholden to creatives as much as they want to be. They're beholden to stakeholders, right? And so they need to get the Marvels. They need to get their Transformers 18 and properties that are tried and true internationally that are going to drive butts into seats, into theaters, because that's still, theatrical is still where a lot of the money has been made. But so Netflix has, you know, not just Netflix, I don't want to put the honest on them, but a lot of the streamers the have... and Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, all of those guys. It's like, well, now you have literally top-level talent in your TV in multiple different types of ways, you know? So what is the incentive to go to a movie theater? And so because of that, people are spending less money, and so then the studios have less money to play with, and so then there's less jobs to go around. It's sort of a trickle-down effect that starts with the consumer, right? Because you can exert your power with how you spend your dollars, I would say, most places, but especially here in the States. So a lot of the people have just changed their viewing habits because of the streamers, and I think the younger generation who have come up under us are just why go to the movie theaters with your friends if you can just like watch a million things on Netflix? And I get that, you know, so I agree. So it's created this big disparity between independent filmmaking, traditional indie level films, which are like budgets under 10 million, which would be the equivalent of a print shoot. sounds like a lot of money, but most of that goes to labor, you know, and it's still hard. Or you have these big temple movies that the studios pour everything into because they need it to survive. Yeah. What has, also impacted fashion a lot is that talk about Instagram, for example, mm-hmm. think that over flooding of visual images and that you also consume print very different than 10 years yeah. ago. So when Vogue did this shooting, which was $300,000 somewhere in the desert, they knew people would look at those images for weeks and it, it would have an impact. These days, I mean, people look at it for an hour and then it's like, okay, yeah. plus, while Vogue still needs to spend $300,000 to go to the desert, 
an influencer can buy a plane ticket, go by themselves and not deliver the same content, but that is the problem. People don't really care if it is the same. They're like, it's similar and that's enough to them. So mm -hmm. in some sense, I would actually argue that in fashion, the quality has dropped even a bit mm. because we just need to be compatible and competitive with our social media influencers. They have become the new one people magazine kind of the one brand magazine yeah yeah i mean they hold a lot of power because they have the direct audience right so i'm so curious there's obviously a lot of big sort of models that exist on instagram but i'm, I'm curious like how the energy is behind the scenes the temperature like how the industry really feels about it all you know it's like is it a necessary evil or would you say the fashion industry is quick to adapt to this is like, this is the new way forward and they're just going to make the best of it? Or is there a lot of sort of hesitation by some people behind the scenes? It's both, I think. And uh, in, in traditional print, Vogue and let's say Vogue, but also Elle magazine and Harper's Bazaar, they still work with prestige models and they still kind of have that vision, especially the higher and it goes on, on the fashion side and on, on the brand, they still stick to models. But then they use influencers for events. And then they use influencers to kind of distribute once that shoot has been done or once the collection has been shown with models, they come as guests and they kind of use them as billboards. That's nothing negative. I mean, yeah, they get it's a great, it's a great visual. really well. I mean, <laughs> I think they get better paid than some billboards on uh, Fifth Avenue in New York. So it's wow. kind of a win-win situation for both. And yeah. that I think makes it easier because I, I see it sometimes. We had some shootings with influencers in the past as well. A model, it's, you don't need a degree to become a model, but there's a difference once you've done 100, 200 shootings, you perform and you know what you need to deliver. While an influencer is so focused on taking pictures by themselves and they're, they're not actually an on-camera personality. We see that when we have shootings, like they come every 10 seconds and like, can I see that picture? Can I look at that? There is more of a, well, they don't have that feeling like, okay, there's 20 people around me and they expect me to deliver. They're more used to like, okay, I'm in my own world and I know how I can perform in front of my phone. So that is very different. Yeah. It's interesting because it's like, it's, it's an art form, I think, modeling. It, you could say it doesn't require a degree, but as someone who has been photographed by professional photographers, it's not easy to look effortless, you know? And, and you no, see some models not. do some crazy ass stuff where they're weird shapes and holding a purse, like all weird and you're and but they look like they were born like that, you know, like they're just like this took like, totally normal to them. And there's just, I don't know, there's something about it that is magical. And I think that it is a true skill and a talent that you learn so I could understand how if you've been doing it for so long you have the confidence that the team who's watching the monitor is going to guide you with the minor adjustments to get the best photograph whereas if you're an influencer you're used to like you said doing it alone and having to constantly check and see am I doing it right yeah whatever yeah. right means yeah it's interesting no no definitely and, and with modeling I mean you see these days with the new generation of top models they train like pro athletes almost and when they come on the set they usually have very strict plans what they eat and how the catering looks like and it's not kind of out of a oh i'm a diva i need this they really have fitness plans and they know what they need to eat and in the beginning i think when you see it externally you think like 
why is that? But then you realize they travel sometimes six, seven days a week. They constantly are on airplanes. And if they don't have that kind of routine, at least with their workouts and with their food, you couldn't be on that high end level. And you couldn't be 12 hours around 50 people telling you, give me that, give me this. And um, yeah, definitely requires a lot of energy and professionalism. Determination for sure. Like, absolutely. You know, you really, yeah, really have to love it. I mean, I think there is this generation of like, you know, this, the supermodel world, like that's gone, you know, like Giselle, like Naomi, like all of these women that are on one name basis, like that were truly created and plucked from obscurity, like that, that time I think is gone, right? Would you say? Yes. Well, there's the new girls like Bella, Gigi Hadid, uh, Kendall Jenner. They are also, I think, the supermodels of new generation. But I think what has definitely changed is when those girls come on set, they are actually the nicest people from the entire crew. They are the most present. They are very approachable. I mean, I wasn't around when the 90s were there, but from stories that I hear from people, sometimes top models would show up six, seven hours later that you don't have with the new generation. They are very aware they need to perform and they need to deliver. I think that has changed a bit from this like, I am the greatest in the world. Sure. But would you agree that like they also are so trained, whether it's subconscious that there's cameras everywhere now, right? And Absolutely. in real time, in real time, whereas these back then in the 90s, like somebody could write something about you, but you never knew if it was true. And now you can literally have 10 people be like, oh, Bella Hadid's acting this way. Let's film it, r- upload it. And instantaneously, it could damage years of, of, of what she's been building, right? So the, there is a huge investment. And in, in I think it's the right move. It should be like this anyway. But to really show up and, and, and walk the talk, you know what I'm saying, that you're preaching. These women have to be constant living, breathing art installations because they can't drop the ball at any moment. Because there's so much on the line. They've created this image and now they have to live up to it all the time. So even when they're, I think the only time they're able to truly turn off is when there's no phones around and they're alone going to bed, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it's, it sounds like a lot of responsibility, but, you know, they're hopefully love it and you're getting paid well, obviously. And that topic you mentioned with the pressure of everybody's recording and everybody could put out something there. I think it applies to the entire team. And that has definitely changed in the last couple of years since Mm. the Me Too movement, which also took place in fashion. And you can see it with photographers, with stylists, with everybody on the production. People are more cautious, even with jokes. I know five years ago, it would be easier to make certain jokes. And now, even though people know it's just a joke and there's nothing bad about it, you're very careful. Um, Are you going to use an funny nickname on somebody or not and Mm. um i actually think it is for better definitely but um it definitely shows also that the fashion used to always be this like oh we're we're kind of a clique and we're in our world almost like a family feeling that has gone a bit it has Mm. elevated a bit and people are more aware okay this is not my family here this is a professional job and i need to deliver and i need to be careful the way i present myself because these days Everything is instantly out there in the world. And also what is then happening, once it's out there in the world, it's very hard to tell if it's true or not. And a lot of people actually don't really do the research to find out, oh, was that photographer involved in the Me Too movement or not? 
But once you have that stamp and that label, it gets really hard for you then even to find out the truth. And you just kind of brand it and they put you away. So that yeah. is very challenging. I mean, there's always someone lined up in the wings waiting, you know what I mean? But so just to back up a little bit, once you became more of a behind the scenes producer type, will you describe then what a producer is and how that's different from a creative director? I think with production and fashion, there's the two big things. There's print and advertising and fashion show and events. I started out with events and fashion shows, which is the more stressful one. Because it's almost like live TV. Everything that you're producing needs to be timed on the second and everything needs to be 100%. I think a good example I can give is um, the Dior show last year. It was the Dior Cruise show in May in Marrakesh. And there the time was so flooded that with the sundown, the show should start. So they would hit the perfect light. But some guests didn't arrive in time. Of course. The entire (laughs) show was postponed 15 minutes. But that 15 minutes was almost, I mean, game over because the lighting wasn't prepared to adjust so quickly. And, I mean, we're talking here about a multi-million dollar production that has been prepared for months. But just that (sighs) fact, you you don't know, like puts out so much anxiety and stress where you don't really think anymore. You just act and you just perform and you're like, okay, we got to save this somehow that you don't have with print. It's a bit more relaxed. I think you have a bit more stress in the pre-production, but on the actual shoot day, you don't have that pressure and you don't have that fear. If something goes wrong, the whole Mm -hmm. thing might fall off. Yeah. (laughs) So I actually then found out later that print is, I don't know if I enjoy it more, but it's definitely better for for my mental health. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's on the long term also, I think more manageable to do. I know after fashion week season, you are trained up. I can't imagine. My experience of fashion week is living vicariously through influencers. And obviously they make it seem like it's just really fun and glamorous. And I know it isn't because I know the world, the impression that others have of producing and making movies and that it is this incredible, magical experience. And it's just hard work behind the scenes. And so that's crazy that, that's really wild that even at, at a show of that level with such big players that, you know, they would not be prepared to shift everything by 15 minutes. You produced this cover of Vogue recently with Bella Hadid, right? Yes, it's the latest Vogue Greece cover with Bella Hadid. It's their anniversary issue. They've only been around for 12 months because Vogue internationally has kind of rolled out a new franchise model and they rebranding Vogue all around the world. So what Greece is one of them and they have a great team and they, they do beautiful productions. So with that shoot, maybe I can give you a bit of an example how we blend that out. Yeah, I'd love to know how a shoot like that comes together and what your role is in it. Usually the magazine approaches the agent of the photographer and says, we have a shoot coming up. Would this photographer be available and interested? So I think the photographer on those shoots is always the key person who needs to be clarified first. And once that is done, then you are in touch with the agent and the photographer as a producer. And they kind of discuss with you who's going to be the model, who's going to be the hair and makeup artist, who's going to be the set designer, which venue are we choosing? We need to do location scouting. We need to get permission. We need to talk with a stylist around about arranging a fitting, getting all the clothes shipped with their assistants in time to the shoot. And it's really in that pre-production phase, a lot about communication and 
being very quick on building a team because usually the turnaround is they request you two to three weeks before the shoot. So it's kind of a lot of pre-production where you have to find out is that hair makeup artist available? Is that set designer available? And then put everything together in a short amount of time. Yeah. And so then the photographer then is the person driving all of these creative decisions of who they want to hire and who they want to partner with? Or does it depend? Yes. Well, it depends. Usually the photographer is kind of the, the visionary and has the ideas. It's a very close collaboration also with the editor-in-chief or, or the stylist for the shoot. Then as a producer part, it's a bit like, okay, I want to shoot somewhere outside in New York. It needs to look industrial, come up with five ideas. And that's where I think we can be creative and where we are really forced to be creative. We have to do location scoutings and make mood boards and then send it to them. And kind of, I think with time, it's very important to have good relationships to the photographers and the stylists so that they can kind of trust you and they know they can rely on you. I think mm. that is very important as a producer to have that relationship with them. So then the photographer selects their producer? Usually, yes. Yeah. Usually photographers have their producers. Oftentimes magazines come and say, oh, we have in-house somebody or mm. we would like to suggest somebody. But photographers are very cautious on that end because they are, at the end of the day, artists and they are, I mean, as, as you know, probably in film also, artists are very emotional driven people mm -hmm. and they need to have that feeling there is somebody who I know, who I trust. And I mean, had shootings where the photographer changes their mind two hours before the shoot on, on a certain location and you need to act very quickly. And what a photographer usually doesn't like then if a producer starts arguing with them and give them even more anxiety there it's just about okay i know what he wants from me and i know he knows that he will get it from me and he knows that i can deliver it to him so that's why they prefer to have their routine their people yeah. yeah yeah so then okay so then your photographer brings you on you're responsible for you know a lot of these getting these elements to them to help shape the vision and then are yes. you also prepping the schedule ahead of time and communicating with all of the rest of the team members a crew i guess i don't know if that's how you guys would call them the crew to yes. okay we're going to be here at this place at this time and this is where hair makeup is going to be done if you're on location and not at a studio and then if there's a car that's going to take you from like all of the logisticals is that all you as well Exactly, yes. You work very tightly there with the agent then, that is kind of the management, and you discuss flights, you book hotels, you take care of all of those things, and then you build up the call sheet. The entire industry, we all live by that call sheet yes. that gets sent out the day before, which everybody is very nervous. If it doesn't hit the mailbox till six in the evening, then agents and makeup artists and everybody is Freaks super nervous. Out. Where's my call sheet? Where's my call sheet? Yeah. So that is very important. And you got to arrange everything, like the motorhomes, the, the catering, everything to be there. Then with that moment, when the call sheet is over, you kind of enter phase two when it's the production time. And as a producer, you have to be the first person on set and you have to be the last person leaving the set. It is definitely um, not as glamorous as people would think when they hear like, sure. oh my God, wow, you produce it. Like, yes, I produce it, but I also had to make sure at 5.30 in the morning that the first truck who drops off the set is right. on time there and everything is working well. The makeup people sometimes don't show up until 9. You yep. already work four hours. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And how long is a day typically? For, for the producer, it usually starts around 5 to 6 a.m. in the morning, usually, because it depends also if it's in studio or on set. On set, definitely, that's early in the morning because you're depending on light and on mm. the environment. In a studio, sometimes you can be there also at 7, and then you start prepping up everything. Yeah. And the studios in New York and L.A., I think Pier and Milk are two good examples, mm -hmm. are so very well organized studio so they help the producers so it's like a 12-hour day would you say minimum? honestly more i never hit home before at 10 p.m on a day like that so it's more like 16 hours a day yeah. on, on the actual shoot day it's less about being the organizer it's more i see my responsibility as making sure the mood is good and i don't want to say it in a negative way but being also a bit of an entertainer so so making sure yeah. the model is in a good mood um kind of sensing if the photographer is happy with this what do people need on set so it's really kind of uh, listening looking and then trying to be responsible for a good mood yeah it almost sounds like you're you're like the person who's throwing a dinner party you know so you've done all the prep work and all, all yes, your that's guests how it feels. Yeah. are at the dinner party and you just have to Make sure they have everything they need because it's very, it is very similar to production. It's just that you're setting up for a sprint and we're usually setting up for a marathon. So it's that times 30 days I love with a lot more people. Yeah, it's kind of Absolutely. like that. But there is still the sense of like if you've done everything properly in prep, when you get to the actual production day, there's not much to do. It's like you're, you're problem solving in real time because things will come up. But Absolutely. you shouldn't be you shouldn't be looking back at something that like you shouldn't start thinking about when lunch is getting delivered the day of the shoot like that stuff should have been set up weeks in advance, you know, stuff Absolutely, like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting. Okay, so then you finish your shoot day and you've shot the cover or you shot the, the print has been shot. What's the next steps for you as a producer? Are you involved at all in any of those steps or do you walk away and you're ready to start the next thing? No, then comes the third phase, which is the post-production, which I have to admit, was for me kind of the hardest to get into because that's then where it's like you do all the financial stuff, you do the invoices, you compare all the budgets that have been spent, you sometimes have to go back to magazines and tell them, oh, actually, we spent a couple of thousand dollars more than we had, and then you negotiate things. You talk to the photographer and you kind of help them with their post-production when they have to send images for mm. proof corrections before they go into print so there still is a lot in that post and it's very important that you kind of are very precise on that i at the beginning always thought like oh it's fine you just write some invoices and then i realized oh it's not that easy like you do have to be very precise and you can't be taking it too easy it's like a serious and two-day office job where you sit on your laptop and excel is your best friend yeah, Excel is the best. Excel, yeah. If, I if, pronounce it always different as a joke. How did you say it? Excel. Excel? I, I like Excel. Excel. It sounds kind of like Axel Rose. I like it. It's kind of like the <laughs> rock star version of Excel. Excel is like for nerds and you're like Axel. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that. <laughs> okay, so then, you know, now that you've been doing it for how long as a producer? Three and a half, four years now, yeah. Okay. But I've been in the fashion industry for 10, and on the production side, I've focused now for three and a half Yeah, years. so then you've been in it long enough that I'm curious, what misconceptions do you feel that others in the industry or completely outside who don't know anything about it, what misconceptions do people have about producers? Are there any misconceptions? I, I think the one 
misconception that I have because I also do creative directions on some jobs. So of course with Vogue, it won't happen that they call you and say like, oh, we don't have a stylist. Like, can you do it tomorrow? Like for smaller projects that I've done, literally sometimes you don't have a stylist. And then through my background with London College of Fashion and being in-house, I mean, I've been also with Tom Ford production in-house, they require a lot of style and design expertise from you. So I feel very safe going on a shoot and honestly, even styling. Mm. On smaller projects, it definitely is a nice way then to put that creative input and also be more the, the drive on like, okay, this is how we're going to do it. This is how it's going to look like, not just the organizer. So I think that is definitely a misconception where people always think like, oh, you're the producer, I'm the creative director. So no, there's sometimes where it is that way, but usually not. So you can be both though. I mean, I, I realize it and I'm very happy that you can build a way around that the industry is not so much like, why do you do this and why do you do that? Right. Just, yeah. Being both, you mean the producer and the creative director doing both? Yeah, I mean, usually don't do both jobs together, but you can do them separately. I mean, one week I can be producing both covers and the next week I get booked on a job where I'm the creative. Got it. That makes sense. What would you say is the most challenging aspect of of doing what you do? And I don't want to say negative, but like it's definitely challenging because you're around a lot of personalities and on a shoot... For example, when we shoot with Naomi Campbell and the star photographer and a star stylist and one of the top hair and makeup artists in the world, it is always finding your way into that and knowing there's a lot of people who come with demand because the higher professional people are, they have very certain expectations and they need that high end mm-hmm. kind of delivery so that is definitely something you you have to cope with in the beginning because like i remember being on one of my first jobs and six people come on you and say this doesn't work right this is not here this is not there and you feel kind of overwhelmed and you feel like oh this is too much for me and then you have to take it kind of with a breathe in and be like okay it's not personal they just expect and that's my job managing all these talented people on, on one set and that is a good question i wanted to know i think with film it's very clear the hierarchy like the director and everybody follows the word of the director. Whereas in fashion, yes, the photographer is the main character, but the other people still have their voice and their opinion. And, and sometimes it feels very liberal because everybody puts in their input, but it also can become a bit chaotic. You know, when mm-hmm. the photographer says, I don't want to do this, where the stylist says, no, let's do this. And then you're in the middle as a producer, you're like, okay, who do I listen to now? Because I know one, I'm going to disappoint. Is it that way with film that it's like really okay? Nobody has anything to say when the director says it one way. On the best sets, no. The spirit of independent filmmaking, particularly which is the world I operate in, is very collaborative. I would imagine if you're coming into a television show that's, you know, where a director is more of like a for hired gun that's executing a vision and a plan that's already there, I would imagine there's a little less room for creative input in that sense. But a lot of those conversations, I think it's just a matter of time. You know, sometimes you have six weeks of prep, you're having these conversations with the department heads that you as a director have brought on, you kind of know, and as a producer, it's a lot of like, 
knowing the personalities ahead of time that are going to be best suited to work with that director. So there's somebody who could be really, really amazing, but you know that it's going to be a clash of personality types. So yeah. sometimes it's helping people navigate, but some directors come with their team. They have their people. So it depends. You know, it, I work with a lot of directors who are sort of, I wouldn't say new, they they have been around the business for a long time, but they have never been given the reins to make their first features. So then we as producers support them by giving recommends to all of the kinds of people that we think would be great. But from that moment, you know, once you're prepping, like the prep period is is where it's all made. Like you were saying, if you prep something well enough, day of is just going to be execution. And yes, there'll be a tons of things and tweaks and problems to solve, but you've done enough of the homework that you're not going to you hopefully if you're if you have someone who's truly a team player, you're not going to be sitting there having an argument this happens a lot with uh, d- directors of photography and production designers because they have to work very, very closely together. And there's many elements that are crossover elements. So an example is there's a light that's a practical light that you see in the world, right? It's not just lighting the actors. Well, that light is now part of set dressing, which technically is a production designer's domain. But the light itself the temperature of the light, the angle of the light, that's your director of photography. You know, you have these conversations ahead of time, but day of, okay, well, we want this light over here. Well, the DP doesn't like the light there. And the production designer is like, well, but if you move this light, it doesn't, now you've ruined the symmetry of my set. So you can't, you know, so there'll be a lot of these kinds of things that come up on the day, but the best of people find a way to move forward quickly because time is money and you've spent all of this time prepping. So you have precious, you know, 20, 30 days to execute an entire world. And there's a lot of money and time on the line for every minute you're spending having these conversations, it's a minute of footage you're not getting. I always like to say, we can do anything. It's just a matter of time and money. And it's a creative decision. But these are the compromises that come with that. So then you get to tell me which version of this you want to do, and we'll make it happen. You know, and so you really empower your creatives and your directors to problem solve together with you. And and to your point earlier, like if it's one day, it's it's hard to, to stay up and be the party host for one day but when it's 30 days it's it's really hard because you're 16 hour days every day minimum and you're not off on weekends as producers because if there's a problem you're the person dealing with it so you really are plugged in to the outlet that is production for months because it's you can never drop the ball at any moment because it's all sort of on you but there was something you said and I wanted to come back to it you were saying how you know dealing with all these personality types can be one of the most challenging parts of it. So I was curious, how do you let all that go to continue showing up and doing your best work? I mean, I, th- I think a good example is uh, the first time I was on, on set with Germany's Next Top Model. That is where I have a bit of television experience as a freelance producer. And we were shooting with Heidi Klum. And I remember, I think I was prepping myself, listening to Eminem Lose Yourself and I was like okay I'm gonna go there and perform and I think I even imagined like after one day producing with my best friend then you show up on set and you realize wow there's 50 people here I'm not gonna be best friends with her and that day I was very much like okay let's not make a mistake let's not make a mistake everything has to be perfect but that way I ended up not being so present I ended up being super stiff and I I went back to the room at night because it was in LA because I flew out from New York to LA and I ended up going back to my hotel room and I was like, wait, like I wasn't even there on the set. I don't know even what I did. Like mm-hmm. I was very robotic and 
it kept me on for a few weeks where I was like, I think I, I need to change that approach and, and take it a bit more relaxed on my end. Like, yes, really be super precise and be focused. I think focus is an important word, but then also realize we're humans and there will be failures and there will be things that are not running smooth. And in order to then cope with those things, you need to be present in that moment and relaxed and not have the fear that if you do something wrong, it's just going to become a disaster. Like whatever it is, you have to find a solution to it. And I think that approach then helped me changing it and going away from that. It all needs to be perfect and I need to perform. Yeah. Like, okay, I, I want to be my best self. And something that I always live by and it's very important to me, be very nice to everyone on set. It's yeah. super important to me. I, I think you never know, first of all, where people are going to end up. I remember when I was on my first Tom Ford set, back then there was somebody who used to be a hair makeup artist assistant. Now he himself is a makeup artist who works for Vogue. So, I mean, if I would have not been nice to him back then, and then you see him now on set, it's like, okay, hello, karma is a bitch at the end of the day. <laughs> so it's very important to treat people nice. And I think what's even more important is if people sometimes don't treat you nice because like you just said, sometimes time comes in and budget pressure and some people sometimes don't know the way they articulate themselves the best. Mm. You still handle it very professionally and that you try to take it very focused on how can I solve this and not like, oh, they attacked me. So that's super important to have that in mind. Also how you deal with when people explode on set and sometimes are not at their nicest, which is... Sadly, sometimes the case in fashion, not just in fashion, everywhere, I think, everywhere. where the pressure comes in. Because and it took me some time also to realize that I was like, oh, why is that person so mean to me? And then I actually understood that person really, they wake up in the morning and they want to deliver something great because they're all, to work for magazines like Vogue or to be working at some Ford, it's not a job where you come and be like nine to five and you go home. Those people... Like me, also, it's a dream and, and a vision. You always took this as like, that's my life. So they want to perform at the best. And when sometimes the makeup doesn't work out, they want it too. They are also disappointed. So in the end, just shows that they are committed to their work and they love what they do. Yeah. I think the term artist gets a bad rep. You know, I think that you are creating something and it takes a team of people who are all creatives in some way, shape or form, like choosing your locations yeah. is a creative thing. So to me, it's like you have all of these collaborators and there can be as small as 10 people or a hundred people. I think even on our sets, like a PA is a collaborator. The guy who's moving the light around and moving cable is collaborating. And so all of that stuff is important. And I think nobody gets into these fields because they're like, Oh, you know, I really love just like, moving gear back and forth it's because they love yeah. the art form in some way shape or form so when i look at people on my set i'm like all these men and women were boys and girls at one point who like were mesmerized by something about this film industry and yeah. and, and the magic of movies that they wanted to be here and now they get to be here in ways that they can contribute with the talents that they bring to the table the whole process of creativity is inherently emotional and it attracts emotional people so that's what makes it challenging is because you have tens or hundreds of people who are all on different emotional wavelengths all at the same time and you as a producer have to it's like herding cats you have to like 
know how to best deal with all of these personality types because of time and budget, you know, and all of these other things. I think if you can step back, it's like everybody's showing up, like you said, to do their best work and to be the best version of themselves. And sometimes they miss the mark. Absolutely. I, I also like to think, I mean, Michelle Obama said this great word, when somebody goes low, you always go high. And that yeah. always sticks with me. I mean, because somebody screams at me, I have two options. Either I say patient or I also become panic and scream back. But I know one thing for sure, situation is not going to get solved. If I also start yeah. screaming and panic back. That's something that is, I think, always good to consider. And then having your vision also, I mean, you, you know, where, where do you want to go? What is your goal? And then not just when the small problems come up that you lose it, but then you think, okay, that's fine. Like I'm here in a big production, something doesn't go right, but I'm learning something from it. This is a lesson and I can develop from it. That you take it more on the, on the long vision. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So one of the things about my show and the podcast and the reason I started it and the name Life with Kaka, which is sort of this play on my nickname and talking about the messy parts of life and the messy parts of our journeys. And I'm just so fascinated by what is it that makes people push through? So I pose this question to you. Has there been a time, I mean, you're so young, you're still just in the infancy of your career, but you've also been around for almost a decade, you said. So you've, you've, been, you've been in it. How have you gotten through it? To be honest, the challenging times happen almost weekly. But one period <laughs> that I know was very challenging is when I came from, from London to America. And I sort of wasn't a good run in London, finished my degree, worked for a few companies. And I was like, I thought like, oh, this is going well. I know people are a bit established. And you come to New York and nobody really knows you. Nobody cares. And for months, I was like, sending emails, trying to get meetings. Then you get a meeting and people listen to you for five minutes and then they tell you they get back to you and they never get back to you. I think there was a time where it was very difficult to stay positive and to feel like, oh, I'm living my dream. It felt a bit more like, I don't know if that is right what I'm doing. You start to question everything and confidence takes a lot of time to build it up, but you lose it very quickly. I think in that period, for me, what was very important is to go inside me and be like, what is my vision and what, what is the meaning that I have behind this, this job? And then I always thought back when I was a child, it was always a dream for me, a dream world. And it gave me a feeling of happiness and mm. it excited and entertained me. And that's something that I wanted to keep on even while working on these projects. I always wanted to have that positivity with me. And I know from that Jeremy Fix Hopmall's job, which is a good example. When they actually didn't book me for the episode, I think I, I was, for like I said, for a few days very down, but then figured out, okay, how can I actually grow from this? How can I learn from this? And I reached out to other people. I took some new roads and went into new directions. So never really letting go just because it doesn't work for you. I think it's super important but to have that patience. I see it in my generation these days, there's a problem and a big thing doesn't work out. We throw our hands up and like, oh, it doesn't work. I'm going. But, mm. but no, to say I'm sticking because I know I chose it and I believe in it and there's meaning for me to it. So I'm going to go this path and it's going to be hard work and it will take some time to get some rewards for that. 
Yeah, that's really a good point. Which brings me to my next question, actually. You know, as as we wrap up, you know, if, if someone's listening and they want to mirror some of the, the career choices you've made and have this desire to get into print and fashion in some way, what advice would you give to that person, whether they are like 19 straight out of college or they're whatever age wanting to make a pivot into that industry? What advice would you give? I would definitely say get as much work experience as you can get, like apply for as many things. Like I just said, I started with many different things during my time in London and being a student. I, I worked in showrooms. I worked in design parts. I worked on the event part. I worked in communication. So really trying to be in all different fields, getting work experience and also doing things that honestly you don't want to do i mean i had to clean showrooms like i mean people were like okay here the showroom is dirty clean it like that's not why i'm here for but you do it and you kind of take on these things and that helps you then to kind of stick your road and to go your way and one term i always like to use it's all about visibility don't rely too much on your title i've had some jobs where i was the intern but because I was so present and I tried to do a great job and offered myself, I was very like present on set and offered myself. It actually got me to higher positions and to work with companies now as a freelance creative where they book me for campaigns. That is something that I can recommend to anybody out there. Don't rely too much on your title, but be very visible and do your best work that you can get out there and it will be rewarded for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We always say you get your next job based on the job you're currently on because everybody's always watching. At the end of the day, I think no matter what industry you're in, it's all going to be inherently challenging. And so we want to surround ourselves with people that are going to have a good attitude. It's harder to teach someone how to be a good person than it is to teach them how to do a PO or properly do an invoice or, you know, So I think that's really solid advice. And I'm curious to see what fashion is going to look like on the other side of COVID-19. I'm sure you are as well. (laughs) We all are. It's it's very interesting. And and, I mean, I love that we're also talking right now because for me, the next step in the next couple of years is I want to move over in the production side a bit more to entertainment and television. Mm -hmm. So it was very helpful and very great to speak and kind of hear your experiences also and to find out what are similarities and what is really the big difference and what really stood out for me when you said a fashion shoot is a sprint where a film production is a marathon yeah navigating that is, is a little harder but it's not anything that you can't learn you know it's just getting into it and understanding but Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to me and sharing your journey and your experiences with me and the listeners. It's what it's all about. I'm very grateful and and thank you. Thank you so much for doing it because I think it's so important that there are valuable podcasts out there where people really use their knowledge. And I, I say knowledge because it's important to go out there and share something that other people can find inspiring and that can help them for their career. So it's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for doing it. Well, you're very welcome. And that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in week after week and doing this live thing with me. 
please spread the word. Tell a friend, tag a friend. Follow me on social media. I'm at Carolina Gropa. The show's at Life with Kaka. Would love to hear what you think. And I'll see you next week. Beijos.